Hey, coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, we're going to talk about why it's so hard at times to not touch your face. When you're told, don't touch your face, that that's one of the best things that you can do right now to avoid the coronavirus, why do we still find ourselves touching our face? We're going to talk about that and plenty more about thought suppression, about rebounding behaviors, coming up on this episode of The Virtual Couch. I know this is an ad, and I know that even when I listen to podcasts, a lot of times I skip forward and I skip the ads. And, and actually, if you didn't know that you could do that, then pretend I didn't say anything. But here's why I like to talk about this ad, and I'm really going to try to make this one so fast. But this is about BetterHelp.com. If you go to BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch, you will be in touch with what over, we're pushing almost a million people have discovered about the world of online therapy. A lot of times I do hear stories about how difficult it can be the more that we're ending this, this negative stigma or negative stereotype about going to counseling, which I am so grateful for. It's only taken about 15 years in this field to watch that happen. But the more we're doing that, the more people are wanting to go to counseling, which I'm so grateful for. But the more and more difficult it can be to find a counselor, or you might live in areas of the world where you can't get to a counselor. And even though today's episode is talking about the coronavirus a little bit. We're talking about not touching your face, how you how thought suppression works or how it doesn't work actually. But even there are people that are wanting to to do online sessions with me, some of my regulars right now. So if you are one who would prefer to have a video session or a phone session, go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. There's a broad range of expertise in their counselor network, which might not be available in your local area. The service is available for, again, people worldwide, and you'll be able to log into your account anytime and you can send a message to your counselor, and that really is a big deal. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy, although every time I do this read, I my, my waiting room is nice. It's got a fireplace, it's got a TV, but that's beside the point. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating oftentimes in under 24 hours. They're in really the intake process through betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. It truly is uh, it's something to at least even go and take a look at because they, they've got a nice way to ask you questions, to put you in touch with a counselor that will truly help. Okay, I'm, uh, I'm getting at the two-minute mark. So um, I think we've kind of hit all the good things, but there's also there's financial aid available if you're worried about cost. And I really, let me, let me go back to this. You can leave your counselor a message and you can email them during the week. There are some counselors, some therapists who kind of do the, Hey, I've got plenty of going on in my own life. So don't, uh, don't send me emails. Don't send me messages. I'm not one of those, but, uh, but that's what I love about betterhelp.com is that's built into the platform. So a lot of times, if you're kind of thinking about things throughout the week, you can send your counselor an email that says, Hey, next time we're going to meet, um, make sure that, that I bring this up. So all right, betterhelp.com slash virtual couch. You'll get 10% off your first month of, uh, of online counseling. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to those around you. But primarily, you owe it to yourself. You know, be the best person you can be. And that can start with betterhelp.com slash virtual couch today. Thank you for tuning in to episode 
190 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful lab coach, writer, speaker, husband, father, four, ultra marathon runner, and co-author of the best-selling book, He's a Porn Addict, Now What? An Expert and a Former Addict to Answer Your Questions, in which I play the role of the expert. And I'm creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography or any type of compulsive sexual behavior. If you or anybody that you know is struggling to put pornography behind them once and for all, and trust me, it can be done in a strength-based, hold the shame, become the person you always knew you could be way, then please head over to pathbackrecovery.com, and there you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to get rid of pornography once and for all again. That's pathbackrecovery.com. And please take a second and visit uh, the Virtual Couch on Instagram. It's at Virtual Couch. And there's a Virtual Couch page on Facebook. There's also a Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist page. Go like them both. Why not? And if you have a minute and you've enjoyed any of the Virtual Couch podcast material, please do me a favor and rate and review and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. And last but not least, please stop by TonyOverbay.com and sign up to find out more about exciting new things that are coming up on podcasts that I've been a guest on and uh, a whole lot more. There's also still a secret bonus podcast from a recording that I did in Salt Lake City a few weeks ago called Hang In There. You're doing better than you think that I will share to people that are part of the newsletter. And uh, and before we get started, too, I, I get um, a fair amount of questions about uh, when I now have added into the intro, co-author, best-selling book, that sort of thing. And I had no idea how the book industry works. And I know that when I listen to podcasts and there are people that I enjoy listening to, I really do like hearing the stuff that's going on um, behind the scenes. And so I just thought I would share with you, I got an update from you when you create a book or when you write a book, you get to be part of this Amazon's Author Central. You've got a little page there and it shows rankings and ratings and that sort of thing. And uh, I thought it was really interesting. My co-author, Joshua Shea, he'll send me some things. He, he's This is his second book. He's got another book that's been out. And he'll send me, hey, check out, we're ranked number this or number that. And I remember the first time where he said, hey, we've, we've cracked the top 100,000. And I remember thinking, that sounds not great. But then, uh, but then you go log into the Author Central page and realize that it's a total, Amazon tells you, of about 8 million books that are on Amazon. So so it's funny, they'll send you these updates that'll say, hey, you're 100,000 or you're 60,000 or you're 50,000, that sort of thing. So last week, we got one that said, and I, I jotted this down, number 35,719 out of 8 million books on Amazon. So again, I it's uh, the book is doing really well and it's finding its way into places for both people that have been a um, the betrayed as far as uh, the betrayed trail trauma concept, as well as the addict. It's helping people see both sides of the story. And we're finding that a lot of professionals are starting to use the book just to have a reference or a resource, maybe something they can hand to somebody in an office. So if somebody's coming into them that is either struggling with addiction, pornography addiction, compulsive sexual behavior, or if it's the spouse who there is this uh, this betrayal trauma that's there in the relationship as well. So please go check it out. Um, the book is available on Amazon, and, and I'm just grateful that it's starting to make a difference. And I love when people review, so please write and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. I want to read a review very quickly before we get to today's subject. Um, this one was very touching. It says, best podcast ever. Thank you. The Virtual Couch is a podcast you can always count on to give you gems of information and solid takeaways to work on throughout the week. Tony has a way of presenting his message in the most genuine and non-judgmental way. I always feel comfortable and confident that the messages I'm listening to will make me a better person. And here's the part that I love about this review, and I'm grateful for the person who wrote it. My husband and I listen to the podcast separately and chat about it later over dinner. It's a great way to learn together and connect. Thank you, Tony, for what you put out in the world. We feel lucky to benefit from your messages. So I really appreciate that. 
type of review, especially the part that I love is a couple that will listen to something individually and then come back and talk about it. That way they can have a shared experience. I mean, and if you go back way back in the archives, I've got an episode on shared experiences and there's uh, there's good data, good science there that says that if somebody goes and climbs the Himalayas, uh, they, they, they you know explore the Himalayas and they come back and talk about it, that it's not as effective in a relationship as a couple that went and watched a movie together, but then shared their experience, talked about the, the message. And then by data, you can really look at uh, pupil retinal dilation and um, heartbeat, heart rate, that sort of thing, and really see that we we just crave connection. That's what we do. We crave connection. So if people are listening to this podcast and then talking about it later, I am so grateful. All right. So today's topic, um, and, I, and I really am not trying to make light of the, the coronavirus um, epidemic that is uh, sweeping the world. We actually had a science fair canceled in my small town in Northern California last weekend. It's a science fair that is just a blast to go and watch. And I know that that is, uh, can be devastating for people that, especially people that looked forward to this. Maybe this is their junior, senior year. This might be their last chance to really do something like the science fair. And there was a, a very, very good basketball team in the Sacramento area that uh, canceled or they forfeited a game. And that's been a very controversial topic around here because there was uh, some scares of coronavirus from uh, some one of the families of the in the school, that sort of thing. And so here you have some of these guys. And we're talking, we're deep into the playoffs right now. I mean, only a couple of games left. And you have some players that, uh, the, again, this is their senior year. This is what they live for, they play for. And they get to a point where they're one or two games away from a state championship. And their uh, their school is, is forfeiting a game. So I know that this is a controversial topic. Matter of fact, there's some people at my church that are, are on one of the cruise ships that are waiting to, to board or disembark in Oakland today. And we've been following that on, on Facebook. And it's just amazing uh, to kind of hear what that's like uh, to be on one of these cruise ships for a while. So again, not trying to make light of this, but but I there was something that I've been hearing a lot over the last two weeks, which is, you know, of course, wash your hands. And another one is try not to touch your face. And I, this is a really interesting thing. As a therapist, I remember, and this was probably a couple of years ago, I remember reading an article that talked about how many times we touch our face. And I, I could not quite find the article that I, I remember, but I remember it being a whole lot more than I ever anticipated that I touch my face to the point of where as somebody who sits in sessions with clients all day, I started to really be self-conscious of how often my hand did go up to my face, whether I'm leaning on my hand, whether I'm, I don't know. And then about the last year or so, I've actually started to grow out a little bit of uh, a little bit of facial hair, which I've never had in my life, but I hit 50. I got a little gray there, kind of embracing that age. And part of it is it's kind of fun to play with when you're in session because you're, you're kind of listening to people, you're taking notes, but, uh, you're, you know, you get that nice little, um, therapist rub his beard. Well, you know, he looks more perplexed. Uh, I don't quite have it long enough to twist a curly mustache on the end or anything, but I noticed that I play with the facial hair quite a bit too. So I've noticed, I've been very aware of how often I touch my face. In the last couple of weeks, I have been trying to bring awareness to myself that's a very, very therapeutic, nice way to say, I'm trying not to touch my face. So my wife sent me an article and she said, this might be kind of interesting to talk about. So the article is from uh, NBCnews.com. It's by a, um, a person named Callahan Rosenblatt. And it says, try not to touch your face. Also, try not to think about touching your face. So I want to tackle this article. And then I've got one from Psychology Today that I'll close up with, that I'll wrap up with, that talks a little bit more about the psychology behind 
trying to not touch your face. Although this one goes into it a little, a little bit as well. Um, the article starts out by talking about President Donald Trump confessing Wednesday that for the last few weeks he's been missing something, touching his face. He says he hasn't touched his face in weeks and uh, in discussing um, coronavirus with some airline executives, and he says he misses it. Um, Callahan says he's not alone. The emergence of a new coronavirus around the world has triggered widespread warnings about personal hygiene and habits in an effort to limit its spread. Wash your hands, limit unnecessary travel, and don't touch your face. So it really is this last bit of advice that has been such a challenge for many people. Um, Callahan quotes the actor Seth Rogen, who tweeted, realizing basically all I do is touch my face. And I don't know if you've been in that spot as well, that the more you're hearing don't touch your face, the more you're realizing I really touch my face. So uh, author Allison Raskin also tweeted, I did not realize how often I touch my face until the CDC explicitly told me not to touch my face. And so there's been a lot of kind of humorous things on social media where people are talking about this, you know, lamenting their fears that their inability to stop touching their faces will cause them to catch the new coronavirus. But the anxiety, as Callahan points out in this article, around face touching is just one way stress over the coronavirus is manifested into the general population. So even people that don't, you know, healthy and, and, and young and full of vigor in life are more worried now about not touching their face than they even are about the coronavirus. Uh, there was a tweet by Amber Ruffin that was pretty funny too. It just says, okay, behaves normally, reads you shouldn't touch your face because of the coronavirus, and then in all caps, spends the rest of my day with one hand in my mouth and the other in my eye. Have I always been like this? And, uh, and I do find that, again, I find myself being very aware of touching my face. There's uh, the article goes on to talk about the, the tweets about face touching point to a problem that health professionals are warning that problem can be as pervasive as the coronavirus itself. Although many of the tweets about face touching are kind of tongue in cheek, the uh, the palpable anxiety Callahan says over the contagion is not. Um, the article quotes Joseph Fair, who's a virologist and outbreak response specialist. Fear and hysteria are the biggest things we fight other than the virus itself. Fear, hysteria, hoaxes, conspiracy theories, everything else. 50%, if not more, of containing the outbreak is that, uh, be it this outbreak or others. So the article goes on to talk about the fear of face touching and how it's kind of become the hallmark of anxiety over the spread of the coronavirus. Um, and anxiety manifesting behavioral changes is very common, experts told NBC News. Whether it's people buying surgical masks, staying home from work, panicking about touching their faces, most people's fears are overblown, said Fair, uh, who is also an NBC News contributor. I was actually at a basketball game with my son, a Sacramento Kings game here recently, and they were handing out, um, there's a, a mattress, a large mattress chain that was sponsoring the event or the night and they were handing out these uh, sleep um, face masks and I saw many people taking the sleep face mask and immediately putting it over their mouth. So while the article goes on to say, while there are communities whose fears of coronavirus are founded, the be and I think this is pretty fascinating, the behavior of less at risk communities could fan the flames of hysteria among people who are able to fight off the illness. Um, Dr. Timothy Scarella, an instructor in psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, said that what might be accepted as rational behavior in Hubei province in China, where the outbreak originated, would likely be considered irrational behavior in Boston. He goes on to say, if someone bought a pack of surgical masks and feels better about having them in their living room and that's it, it's not the end of the world. Versus somebody who hasn't left their house in three weeks and says, I'm not going to leave until this is settled, Scarella said. And I'm starting to find that even in my practice of, uh, of just a very, very small amount of people who aren't quite sure if it's safe to even leave their homes. So Scarella says it's absolutely human nature. Um, he says, I think that to ask people not to touch their face is kind of ridiculous. It just can't happen. 
it's going to be a hard habit to break. He equated that particular anxiety to the everyday nagging feeling that someone left home or while without turning off the lights. You know, it's uh, he's kind of alluding to that fact of that it starts to almost border on OCD-like tendencies. So people are starting to say, wait a second, did I just touch my face or did I not? I don't think I did, but maybe I did when I wasn't thinking about it. And honestly, maybe they did, Scarilla said. Scarilla said it's common for people to end up fixating on these kind of thoughts. He said people with a lot of health anxiety or anxiety in general often engage in this kind of recursive, ruminative kind of checking. Um, he goes on to say that the coronavirus has been ideal for preying upon people's anxieties because of the ambiguity surrounding it. So just wrapping up this first article, Scarella said that because the illness originated in China, he had concerns about panic manifesting in the way people treat those they believe to be from regions where it was first identified. In the United States, Asian-owned establishments have reported a drop in business, and Asian-American lawmakers have urged members of Congress to help curb coronavirus-based xenophobia. So while both experts said trying to minimize face-touching is the same advice they give during the cold and flu season, they agree that even if people do touch their faces, it's not the end of the world. Uh, Scarella are fair. The virologist ends up uh, wraps up the article by saying, I think if you talk to viro- virologists or other people who have been out working on this, this is not the one that's going to wipe us all out, Fair said. This isn't going to be the end of humanity. So that one leads to another article. So I, I dug up an, old, uh, an oldie but a goodie called Don't Think About It. Um, Don't Think About It, Thought Suppression Causes Behavior Rebound by Dr. Ira uh, Hyman, Ph.D., this one's from Psychology Today. It's from uh, it's from a decade ago, but this is one that I've I've kind of kept for. Um, I do a lot of work with people who do have this this thought suppression, this thinking thinking that they can suppress their thoughts, that they can say, "I need to not think of this." And and oftentimes, I'll just kind of throw this out there quickly. I remember when I used to, uh, I still speak often, um, but uh, I remember early on, one of the things that I would do, just almost as crowd warm up, was just to ask people how many of them have thought about some completely. Um, inappropriate thought about, you know, this is the one where you think about, uh, I don't know, drive, turning your wheel slightly uh, into the, another lane, or you think about jumping off of a high building or, or those sort of things. And it was interesting to watch as people in the crowd almost would look like, oh, I, I can't believe you just asked that. But then they would kind of look on their face like, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had that thought before, but I mean, I'm never going to do it. And there's a thing called inappropriate thought syndrome, which is one of the first episodes I did of the virtual couch. And there's these three tenets of inappropriate thought syndrome. One of them is that everybody has these uh, irreverent, irrational, inappropriate thoughts. We all do because our brain can just kind of throw them up at any moment. The second tenet of inappropriate thought syndrome is that just because you have the thought doesn't mean you're going to do it. And I often talk about that I will have the thought of, uh, of jumping off of high buildings or that sort of thing whenever I get up there just and get that little jelly leg feeling. And, and uh, then that kind of, I don't know, that anxious feeling goes throughout my body. But I can, for the record, say in my 50 years, I have yet to jump off of a very high building. And then the third tenet of inappropriate thought syndrome is that trying to suppress the thought doesn't work. And it is the classic don't think about a white polar bear uh, theory. So if I tell you don't think about a white polar bear right now, most likely you've thought about a white polar bear. My joke when I speak about this is unless I'm talking to a group of, I don't know, 12-year-old boys who then like, no, I didn't. But the rest of us probably have. So this article is called Don't Think About It. And uh, and, it, and it brings up this thing called the behavior rebound, which I think is pretty fascinating. So um, Dr. Hyman says, just don't think about it. He says, try to stop trying to stop smoking, avoid eating sweets, getting over a relationship. Just stop thinking about it. And he says, this is surprisingly bad advice. So think about that, what we just talked about with, hey, don't touch your face. 
So, surprisingly bad advice. Suppressing thoughts might actually be counterproductive. So he goes on to, to talk about don't think about white bears. Um, he said, while reading the rest of this, or, or I would encourage you listening to the rest of this podcast, do not think about white bears. And uh, he talks about researcher Daniel Wegner and his colleagues have frequently investigated the, fact of the, the effects of asking people not to think about white bears and other things. And they've made two primary findings. First, people experience difficulty suppressing thoughts. That's no surprise. But I want you to hear this because I want you to know it's normal to, you know, when people come into my office and they say, I know I shouldn't think this, or I keep telling myself, don't think that, don't think that. And I just want to say, man, bless your heart. But, you know, every time you think this, and again, this, I feel like this is one of my old bits, but when you, when you tell your brain not to think about something, I believe it literally holds up a sign and says, what this? And to the point of where I've had a, a very uh, wonderful friend create a clay polymer brain that I have in my office that I should put a picture up of that is holding a sign that says this. And that, that comes exactly from this trying to suppress thoughts. So, so he goes on to say that, you know, it's, uh, it's not effective. The white bear continues to inhabit your thoughts instead of, instead of thinking about a polar ice cap. So he says when suppressing, most people keep other thoughts in mind and keep in mind the idea that they are not thinking about something. Every now and again, when you think about that, you're not thinking about something, um, then it's you just make sure you're not thinking about it. And there it is, the white bear or chocolate bars or cigarettes or that old flame, he goes on to say. As soon as you realize, wait a minute, I'm not thinking about the thing, then all of a sudden you start thinking it. So the second and more important finding that uh, that Wagner and his associates found in doing a lot of this research is that people experience a rebound effect after trying to suppress a thought. They actually think about the white bear more following suppression attempts. Compared to people encouraged to simply think about the bear, People who first tried to suppress thoughts of the white bear have many more occurrences of the white bear thought. Wigner and his colleagues wrote, that paradoxical effect of thought suppression is that it produces a preoccupation with the suppressed thoughts. Um, Wegner has often suggested that rebounds following thought suppression may contribute to obsessions, dieting failures, and difficulty stopping behaviors like smoking. So in some new research that was published back in 2010, a researcher named James Erskine and his colleagues have experimentally shown the thought suppression has counterproductive effects on behaviors. So this is a pretty fascinating study. I'm going to talk about two quick studies. One, Erskine and Georgiou conducted an experiment in which they looked at the effects of suppressing thoughts of chocolate, which um, the author here, Dr. Hyman, and I very much so have had some personal experience with. First, participants engaged in a task of recording their thoughts. One-third were asked to think about chocolate, one-third to suppress thoughts of chocolate, and one-third to simply record their thoughts with no suggestions about the content of their thoughts. Later, all the participants were asked to rate some chocolate on several qualities related to taste. So the issue was not their ratings, but rather how much chocolate they ate. People who had tried to suppress thoughts about chocolate ate more chocolate. So suppression not only led to a rebound in chocolate thoughts, but also to a rebound in eating chocolate. So trying not to think about that candy bar may make consumption of that candy bar um, and he says, and its friends in the vending machine, even more likely. The effect was most noticeable in restrained eaters, that is, people already trying to limit food intake. And then in a related study, Erskine, George Yu, and they invited a third, and uh, this, is, this is quite a name, uh, Kavalashvili, tried thought suppression with smokers. I think this one's pretty fascinating. In this case, they undertook a much more extensive study. So smokers recorded the number of cigarettes they smoked for three weeks, they also recorded a lot of other information, such as stress and smoking attitudes, etc. And the first week served as the baseline for cigarette consumption. In week two, 
Some smokers attempted to suppress thoughts of smoking. Some were encouraged to think about smoking as frequently as they could. And then a control group simply continued to record cigarette consumption. The good news? The suppression led to a decrease in smoking during the week when the smokers were suppressing thoughts of smoking. That week, too. The bad news, a major rebound effect occurred. In the next week, those who had previously tried to suppress thoughts of smoking then smoked more cigarettes. So when they stopped suppressing, they actually increased smoking. So Dr. Hyman goes on to finish up by saying, don't think about it is truly bad advice. Although people can have limited success, limited success suppressing thoughts for a while, the thought will rebound. And he says the cool finding in Erskine and colleagues' research is that rebounding thoughts led to rebounding behaviors more chocolate consumed, and cigarette smoke. So perhaps we should suppress thoughts about suppression. So let me kind of add my two cents before we wrap up. So what do you do then if you're trying to not touch your face or not think about chocolate? Here's where the wonderful acceptance and commitment therapy principles come in. There's a concept called expansion. There's a concept called um, self as context. So this is one where in order to truly be successful, and, and I'm, I'm employing this uh, on probably an hourly basis right now, is that when I notice that I'm touching my face, notice that I'm touching my face. Instead of saying, man, stop touching your face. Like, okay, I see what's happening. I am now touching my face. And so gently, you make you, you bring note, uh, you noted, I am now touching my face. That's the way to just gently move your hand away from your face. Don't beat yourself up. You know, because that is more of that that thought suppression kind of a dynamic. If it's a man, what's wrong with me? I, I keep touching my face. Then your brain is going to put up the sign that says, "What well, this? You want to touch your face? Don't touch it. Don't touch it." So it's really about expansion. It's about making room for that thought or that feeling, recognizing that I am touching my face, but then just kind of letting it sit there, make room for it. I have a wonderful client who talks about when he does expansion, he then sets whatever the feeling or the emotion or the thought over on his shoulder like a parrot so that then that uh, thought or that emotion still kind of squawking at him. He's like, hey, uh, you want to touch your face now? And he's like, no, I see you. I see you there. Uh, thought, you know, emotion, feeling. But uh, I'm going to leave you right there. And then here's the kind of cool part. Here's the cool part about what I love about acceptance and commitment therapy is that then if you notice that you are touching your face again, just note it. Just gently note it. Make a little bit of room for it. What we typically do is we beat ourselves up about it. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I still keep touching my face. And now we know that that falls into, from both of these studies today, that this it falls into this concept of thought suppression. And then when we, when we go overboard or when we beat ourselves up about it, then we're going to experience this rebound effect and we're going to even do it more. So just... Here's your challenge for the week or even the day is just note. Notice how many times that you're touching your face. Um, gently bring awareness to I notice I am touching my face. And then notice that I am now pulling my hand away from my face. And then when you think about the fact that you're not thinking about touching your face, then gently note that as well. Make room for that. And I realize right now as I'm saying this, man, you take me six, seven years ago, and if I was listening to a guy like me talk about this of gently noticing and making room for, I would think, that guy is crazy. But I'm telling you, it really does work. The way that we change the relationship with our thoughts, the way we make room for these things, this is the same concepts that you teach with addiction, the same context, uh, the same concepts that you teach just in overall mindfulness, because um, it, it adds a little bit of a pause before you take action. And the only way to really start to make progress on any kind of behavior, whether it's dieting, whether it's getting rid of an addiction, whether it's, uh, whether it's trying not to touch your face, is to 
give yourself a little bit of a break. You know, um, we typically want to beat, beat ourselves up. We want to shame ourselves. We want to guilt ourselves. And, and man, I will go on the record as saying I'm still over, I don't know, 14, 1500 and working with individuals who are trying to get rid of addictive behaviors. Um, when there is guilt or shame involved, it, it really just doesn't do anything. And you can continue, bless your heart. If you feel like you need to beat yourself up about it, but at some point, it's that, okay, I'm just noticing, I'm making room for, you know, I'm going to be okay. Uh, I, I have these re- behaviors and maybe maybe even addictions and, and those sort of things because I'm a human, because I've been through a whole lot of experiences that have led me up to this point in life. That at some point, it's time to then just say, all right, maybe, maybe I'm going to be okay. Maybe I need to not beat myself up. And then again, just notice. Just make room for it. I notice that I'm having a feeling of wanting to go eat the chocolate cake. I notice that I'm having a feeling of wanting to go act out uh, through pornography or compulsive sexual behavior. But whatever it is, just don't beat yourself up. Give that a shot. And you can practice that first by recognizing that I'm going to try not to touch my face as much today. I'm not getting into the whole coronavirus, you know, fear. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to wash my hands, that sort of thing. But, but I can challenge myself to just try a little harder, be a little better, do a little better, and just notice, notice when I want to touch my face or notice when I'm touching my face. And, uh, and, and I really promise you that if you kind of start with that attitude, you're, gonna, you're going to actually notice yourself being very aware of a lot of things that maybe you want to change and being able to gently drive behavior away from the things that you've always wanted to change. So, hey, thanks for taking the time, and uh, I wish you the best of luck this week in not touching your face. All right. Um, Hey, everybody, have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Virtual Catch. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and rubber